Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. According to ESPN, a woman is a he- a she, and a them. Ranked choice voting is now systemically racist, and Ibram Kendi tries and fails to explain how he's not actually a racist. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like big tech and the government spying on you? Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. And then the interwebs happened. The interwebs are great, but here's the problem. People can monitor what you are doing online. We're talking about hackers. We're talking about the government. We're talking about big tech. Well, why exactly would you want anybody crawling through all of your data, creating a permanent public record for you? Having your private life exposed for others to see was one something only celebrities worried about. But now, because everybody is online, everybody has to worry about it unless they use ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there? Their sole business is to buy and sell your data. The worst part, they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use that IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. My IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers, which makes it a lot more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And it's super easy to use, basically install it with one click and then with another click, it is now active. It's that simple. So... If, like me, you believe your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Okay, so yesterday I was browsing the world of sports and I came across an article that was so astonishing in its stupidity and confusion that it forcibly struck me. I mean, it really was the single worst piece of writing I have ever seen. And the reason it was the single worst piece of writing I've ever seen is because it is utterly incoherent. I want to read it to you. It's about a person named Lishia Clarendon, the WNBA's first openly non-binary and transgender player. Okay, it's by a person named Katie Barnes. Okay, here is the piece. I'm going to read you the first three paragraphs and you will immediately not understand anything. Okay, this is a thing that a human wrote. Lacia Clarendon wrapped their hand around the back of a fussy newborn, looking up at them in the maternity recovery room at a Bay Area hospital. A nurse had just shown Lacia how to cradle the baby in a football hold, and Lacia rested the soft skin of the baby's back against her own left forearm and held the baby's head in her hand. Okay, so at the beginning, you're like, okay, so we're talking about a non-binary person who wants to be called them. Within the same paragraph, this person is now being called her. But wait. Baby C, they, them, because the baby doesn't have a gender either. Okay, we're now working in this bizarre universe in which a baby comes out, 
We know whether it's a boy or a girl, but we pretend we don't know whether it's a boy or a girl because literally you can change your gender up to the day you die. And then after you die and after your body decays and all that's left is your bone structure, scientists a thousand years from now can also know whether you're a boy or a girl. In any case, they, them. Baby C, they, them, gurgled and squirmed at Leishia's touch. Leishia accepted shampoo from the nurse, silently wondering if it would be appropriate for black hair. With her right hand, she gently rubbed her fingers through the silky curls of Baby C's full head of hair. So, so far, it's a woman, right? A woman who identifies as they, them. That's what you can get from the first couple paragraphs. Here's where things take a sideways turn. It was December 21st, 2020, Baby C's birthday and first wash day. Leishia's wife, Jessica, she, her, had just given birth to Baby C by cesarean section after a 29-hour labor after carrying the baby for just over 41 weeks. As Jessica recovered, Leishia found himself alone with his first child. I know what you're thinking. What? He never expected to have these first moments alone with baby C. Leishia and Jessica had planned for a vaginal birth and for these moments to be shared. Exhausted and weak, Jessica joined Leishia and baby C in the recovery room 30 minutes later. Leishia held the baby up to Jessica's chest to assist with baby C's first meal. As Jessica drifted off, Leishia placed baby C back in the hospital bassinet. He removed his shirt and sat down. Leishia picked the baby back up, cradling baby C against their chest. Um, so... In the first several paragraphs of this piece, we now learn that Leishia Clarendon is referred to as, wait for it, they, them, her, she, he, and him. Now, this makes a mockery of language, right? You have no idea. You, you now have less information about Leishia Clarendon than you did at the beginning of the piece. You don't know anything about Leishia Clarendon. If you just read this piece, if you're an alien from outer space or a normal English speaker, either of the two, and you read this piece, you would not know whether Leishia Clarendon is a boy or a girl or anything else. It makes no sense. It's deliberate confusion. It's deliberate confusion. And if you mention that it's deliberate confusion, then you are called a bigot. If you point out that this is absolutely nonsensical, that the, the terms he and she and they have quite specific meanings in English. He refers to males. She refers to females. And they generally refers, refers to the plural. Unless... It is a they at the end of a sentence, and it is referring back to a she or he antecedent, typically. But here you have all of these terms being used for one person. The only purpose here is to convey less information with language. It is to isolate you more. It's to make you feel more confused. For the sexual revolutionary left, confusion is the point. Boys and girls, they're not supposed to mean anything. They're all social constructs, unless sexual orientation is invoked, in which case it's not a social construct, it's a biological reality. But also, you can shape your sexual orientation and choose it over time. It can be bisexual or pansexual or gay or lesbian or straight at any time. They can identify as any of those things. But they are both biologically immutable and also social constructions, according to the radical left. And we have now entered the world of Michel Foucault in which language is just power. The arbitrary shifts in language are designed to promote power, just as in an authoritarian governmental system arbitrary shifts of the rules that you're supposed to know and you get punished if you find yourself in breach of those rules. They are designed to simply re-enshrine and reinforce the power of the system over you. Radical shifts in language where words suddenly don't mean what they meant five seconds ago. And where if you use the word in its traditional sense, you have now crossed some invisible line. You become a bigot. This is a way for the social left to rule your life. It is a way for the social left to out you, to treat you as a bigot. I have a new book coming out called The Authoritarian Moment. And one of the things that I point out in The Authoritarian Moment is that this power game 
has now infiltrated virtually every institution of, of our society. To even point this out puts you at risk of censorship from the big tech companies. To even point this out makes you a person who shouldn't be welcomed into polite conversation. We now identify each other as members of the ruling class. And there is a ruling class in the United States. The way that you are identified as a member of the ruling class, the people who deserve to rule, is you put pronouns in your profile. If you have pronouns in your Twitter profile is not an indicator that there was any confusion about who you were. We all know who you were because we have eyes and we have ears and we have minds, right? We can identify people based on objective characteristics. The whole purpose of putting a pronoun in your profile is not even to demonstrate solidarity because you've demonstrated nothing. Right? We don't really know anything about your politics simply based on what pronouns apply to you. All it is is a way of signaling that you speak the vocabulary, that you speak woke. It's a socially authoritarian method of ostracizing people who think in terms of traditional objective metrics. Now, how stupid is this particular ESPN story? I use this as an example because this is the cover story at ESPN Magazine, by the way. Okay. So the reason I use this is because not only is this supremely confusing and designed to be confusing, there's an editor's note attached. The editor's note says this, quote, Leishia Clarendon, who identifies as transgender and non-binary. Right? Again, if you are non-binary, meaning you don't actually have a gender, how are you transgender? Are, are you a woman who became a man? Are you a woman who became nothing? Are you a woman who became a genderless widget? Like, what, what exactly are you? The terms transgender and not transgender suggest that you change your gender from one to the other, typically. Non-binary means that you don't identify as any gender. So these two terms should be somewhat mutually exclusive. They are not, right? Leshia Clarendon, who identifies as transgender and non-binary, uses he, him, she, her, and they, them pronouns interchangeably. We do so throughout this piece. We also introduce the preferred pronouns for others who appear in this story and for whom pronouns are used. Okay, so instead of the editors doing what editors typically do, which is make sure that language conveys information. This is what editors and writers are designed to do. Right? There, there's a postmodern discourse in literature in which language is not supposed to convey information. It is instead supposed to enshrine certain moods, supposed to generate certain feelings. But typically, the purpose of language is to convey information. This is true in the animal kingdom as well. Right? Whether it's clicks and chirps from animals or whether it is the human voice, the goal is generally to convey more information. Except now. Now the goal is to convey less information because the true idea is to elicit from you whether you object to this and thus can be ostracized safely from the membership in the new ruling class. And this is nothing new. Right? There's an article, we talked about it on the show way back in April in the New York Times called A Guide to Neo-Pronouns. So you are confused by all of this? Well, let the New York Times guide you through all of this. You will be more confused by the end than you were at the beginning. According to the New York Times, non-binary pronouns have become widespread. A 2019 Pew Research study found already that one in five Americans knew someone who uses non-binary pronouns. And then there are neo-pronouns. A neo-pronoun can be a word created to serve as a pronoun without expressing gender, like she and zher. A neo-pronoun can also be a so-called noun-self pronoun, in which a pre-existing word is drafted into use as a pronoun. Noun-self pronouns can refer to animals. So your pronoun can be bun, bun-self, and kitten, kitten-self. Others refer to fantasy characters. Vamp, vamp self. Prin, cess, princess self. Fay, fair, fair self. Or even just common slang like in it, in its, in itself. So is this for real, says the New York Times? Yes. And around any leading edge behavior online, trolling, hijinks, and bad faith collide indistinctly. For those unfamiliar with the culture surrounding the pronouns right now, it's likely impossible to distinguish between what's playful, what's deeply meaningful, and what's people being mean. 
Many neo-pronoun users are dead serious and are also part of online communities that are quick to react swiftly to offenses. A popular Twitch streamer who goes by Andy VMG recently apologized after tweet- jokingly tweeting that her pronouns were bad AF, which led many neo-pronoun users to accuse her of transphobic invalidation of their identities. Andy VMG wrote on Twitter, it wasn't meant to mock people who use neo-pronouns. However, I've since educated myself on the matter and spoken to people who use neo-pronouns, and I see why what I said was hurtful. Okay, now, again, the idea here, that these neo-pronouns, kitten, kitten self, express just the same amount of information as a person saying that the person, a biological woman, is both he and she and them. Precisely nothing. The only thing that it expresses is a person who is either unable or unwilling to identify with reality. That's all. But the whole point is that you too are now supposed to be drafted into this movement to normalize delusion. You're supposed to be drafted into this movement to normalize delusion. And this this notion that personal identity, that how I identify must be reflected by the society at large. And if you refuse to go along with my moral vision of society, if you refuse to clap and cheer along, you have denied me my identity. You have undermined me as a human being. And corporations, because so many corporations are in the business of catering to clientele, right? This is what corporations do. Corporations are going to sell you what you want to buy. Well, right now, what people want to buy is a vision of themselves. And that vision of themselves can be anything. And so corporations are simply going to celebrate whatever you believe you are in order to make money, right? So this has led people on the right to say capitalism is the problem. Okay, capitalism is not the problem. Capitalism is just not designed to be the moral imprimatur. Okay, capitalism is the greatest system for the distribution and increase in wealth in human history, without a doubt. But capitalism is not inherently tied, the system itself is not inherently tied to anything beyond provision of services and products to people who want them. And so if you are a business and you are seeking to cater to people and those people have immoral wants, capitalism will serve those wants the same way that it would serve somebody who has a a moral want. In other words, the lack that we are seeing in American society right now is not the result of economics. The lack that we are seeing in American society right now is a result of lack of a moral basis, a moral foundational grounding in reality. The reality that we are embodied human beings. We are not just a free-floating spirit inside a meatball. We are actually an embodied thing, which means that our biology and our soul are connected. And that means that we cannot ignore our biology or treat our biology as though it were our enemy. But that's precisely what the left seeks to do. The left not only seeks to treat our biology as an enemy, the left seeks to treat you as an enemy if you even notice the fact that objective facts, which allow us to have conversations with one another, by the way, that if objective facts exist and you acknowledge the existence of these objective facts, you are now engaged in an act of bigotry, right? Because I'm denying your identity. Subjectivism now rules the day. And anybody who insists on objective uses of language that we can share, because there has to be a, a term that means something in order for us to both use it and understand one another. If you insist on that, you're now engaged in an act of bigotry. All of this is a power game. All of this is a power game. The, the, the confusion, the meaninglessness, that is the point. Because if you can make everybody confused, and then if you can use that confusion in order to instill in everybody else the idea that if you refuse to acquiesce to the confusion, this makes you the bad guy, well, then you are just as arbitrary in your use of power as most authoritarians are. And we have a set of cultural authoritarians who are, who are joining us in the guise of tolerance and acceptance, which is not what this is. Okay, we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that if you are an adult, you have to take care of business. 
And if you want to take care of business, that means that you need the insurance that you need, right? I mean, everybody needs insurance, right? You need life insurance, you need home insurance, and you need auto insurance. Well, here's the thing. Policy Genius is a free and easy way to check if you could be saving cash on what you're paying for home and auto insurance. Are your home and auto policies almost up for renewal? Let Policy Genius look for a lower rate for you. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork to set up your new policy or switch over to current one. Getting started is easy. First, you head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro home, and you answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property, and then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll help compare rates from America's top insurers, from Progressive to Allstate, and help you find your lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look for ways to save you more, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. There's a reason they have an excellent rating on Trustpilot. So right now, get your home and auto insurance ironed out. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro home. Get started right now. The adult thing to do is to insure yourself how you need to be insured. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it is nice and quite important to get it right. Okay, so there is a certain zero-sum game between subjectivism and objectivism, right? between objectivity and subjective self-interpretation. If people who believe that subjectivity ought to rule the day win, objective language loses. If objective language loses, we can't have a conversation with one another because the minute you use a term, and then I use the exact same term, in its traditional sense, and you claim now that this is bigotry, basically what you're saying is it is not possible for any two human beings to understand each other. And this is how the sexual left is part of the general radical left, because the racial left says the same thing. The racial left says that there's a certain racial essentialism wherein black people cannot understand white people and white people cannot understand black people. And thus, you can't have an honest to God, open conversation about the decision-making that leads to success in a society because we can't understand each other's experiences or each other's identities. And this is being reinforced by every major force in our society right now, particularly our cultural forces. And cultural forces, by the way, in a free society like the United States, or at least a, a fairly free society with regard to government, cultural forces bleed upward into politics. And we've always said that culture is upstream of politics, and that is exactly right. right? Usually, the law follows the culture. The culture has decided to to validate the notion that subjectivity ought to rule. And then the law, which is supposed to be an objective tool, right? Once the law becomes subjective, it really is authoritarian. Once once the law is just subjectively interpreted to go after particular people, that is the definition of authoritarianism. Once it bleeds up into the law, you got a real problem on your hands. And that's exactly what has been happening. And this is how you end up with, for example, situations like we have apparently at an an aquatic center in, of all places, Pella, Iowa, According to Breitbart.com, the Pella Aquatic Center in Pella, Iowa has confirmed to a newspaper it allowed a teenage girl to go topless and use the men's restroom and locker room because she said she identified as a man. According to the Iowa Standard, she shared the facility with boys and men of all ages. The incident happens on June June 16th. According to two people at the Aquatic Center, the incident did indeed happen. The Aquatic Center policy allows it to happen. The assistant manager told the Iowa Standard the policy says anyone can wear the clothing necessary in line with their gender identity rather than biological sex. The policy is set by the city council according to the Aquatic Center's assistant manager. In addition to concerns for the young children exposed to this, as well as the men and boys, a resident said it's dangerous for the young minor girl to expose herself, which, of course, is true. Apparently, this isn't the only incident. So this sort of stuff is bleeding over into policy. We saw a video emerge from a spa in Los Angeles recently in which a black woman is complaining at the counter because apparently there is a biological man who is walking around in the women's section of the spa with his junk hanging out. And the spa said, no, 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 
He's just identifying as what he identifies as. We have no rules on this sort of thing. Objective reality is to be put aside. And now this has been shrined in, in federal law. They have Justice Gorsuch idiotically ruling in Bostock that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was meant to protect men who say they are women in the same way that the law protects women, which is, of course, incredibly silly. So you've got the law pushing it. You have culture pushing it. They, they, the, by the way, the insulting nature of this to women is truly amazing. Right, so a, apparently a transgender woman has now taken the state Miss USA crown in Nevada. Right, And basically, this is a tribute to the surgeons, because let's let's face it, when it comes to tr- Miss USA contests, which are beauty contests, which are supposed to have presumably some sort of non-subjective beauty standards, in order for a biological man to win a Miss USA contest, that person would have had to have tremendous hormone treatment and surgery. It wouldn't just be like, a, a normal biological man without surgery and hormone treatment walking into the Miss USA contest and winning the contest. And so, so what this really speaks to is stereotypical beliefs about female beauty, which I thought the left opposed until five seconds ago, but apparently the left is very into it right now. Here is the first transgender Miss Nevada, Cataluna Enriquez, a biological man, explaining the breakthrough nature of this, which again is less a tribute to tolerance than it is a tribute to how surgeons and, and doctors can treat people and make them look like members of the opposite sex without actually changing their underlying biology. It's amazing because it's Pride Month and it's the 52nd anniversary of Stonewall. So it's a special moment for my community. I'm the first trans woman and a trans woman of color. And it's time that our voices are heard. When I was young, I, I said that one day I hope to see someone like me on stage in Miss USA, and there just happened to be I was the person that I needed. Okay, so all of culture is pushing the idea that men can be women, and in fact, the best women, as it turns out. And, and it's pushed, you know, in, in every arena of our society, and we're supposed to celebrate all of this as though this is a, a, some sort of societal breakthrough, that pretending men can be women and that terms have no meaning, that all this is a societal breakthrough, and what it leads to in the end is a lot of suffering, particularly directed at children. There's a piece in Daily Wire today by Amanda Prestigiacomo talking about a woman in Australia who's now writing that her gender-confused daughter is going through early early menopause and she's, quote, so proud of him. And we have 15-year-olds who are being treated with heavy doses of, of testosterone to stop them from having periods and to go through early menopause to prepare them for life altering surgery when we have not actually checked out the longitudinal effects of this stuff in any serious way. There are consequences to this. But again, the personal is political. The personal is, is the, the, the personal is political. What you do in your own personal life is now considered to be what the law should be for everybody else. And again, what that's really designed to do is say that if you have any standards for your own children, if you have any standards for meaning in society, if you go to church, if you simply believe in natural law, all of this makes you the actual target. Okay, in just one second, we're going to get to the situation in, uh, in New York, which is quite hilarious. We'll get to that in a second. First, I do want to talk to you about how this sort of radical leftism with regard to subjectivity also applies to race. Right? So when it comes to the radical left on race, again, the confusion is the point. You're not supposed to have any objective standards for how we measure people's performance. If you use objective standards for how to measure people's performance, this is now considered racist in the same way that it is considered sexist now. If you say, objectively speaking, there's a man and there's a woman and they're not the same thing. If you point that out, this is bad with regard to sex. Because again, the confusion is the point. You set up all these varying standards that don't have any consistent basis for them. And then you use them as a club against 
everybody that you don't like, right, who disagrees with you and actually holds to objective standards. The same thing holds true on race. And this leads to some incredibly racist places, because basically what you have is the racial radicals in our society, which is increasingly taken over the entire Democratic Party. You have them basically saying that any objective metric used with regard to performance is inevitably going to consign black people to doom, which is a pretty racist idea. It, the wokes and the racists have a lot in common. They both seem to believe in the inferiority of black people or their inability to perform at the same levels as white people, which is fairly incredible. And many of them will just acknowledge this openly. For example, there's a video that went viral yesterday of a New York K through 12 educator suggesting that black students do not think analytically. Black people, we are relational people. Mm-hmm. We are people of context. Like it's very Western and European to to dissect and analyze and take apart things. Whereas mm. Afrocentric schooling or Afrocentric spirituality or African epistemology or ways of knowing, everything is connected. So this is why education is not working for so many students of color because we are context-driven people. Okay, so the, the person speaking right there, by the way, is Maria Akinyele, PhD the founder and lead education consultant of Aguirre Learning, an organization that has helped hundreds of school leaders and organizations embrace, strategize, and enact positive change. Also, this person apparently teaches as an adjunct assistant professor at Columbia University. Okay, that sort of racism that she is speaking there, in which she basically says that black people think relationally, but black people do not think in terms of analytic skill. I mean, that's an astonishing statement. But it goes back to the basic deconstructionist idea which lies behind both the sexual radical policies and the and the racially radical policies, which is that objective metrics and objective abilities to adjudicate what goes on in the world, all of any attempt to be objective about the world that surrounds you, what that really is, is your own Western bias, right? It is, it is how you value objectivity that is the problem because maybe we should just not value objectivity. It's not that facts aren't facts. Facts can be facts. It's that you think facts are important. Facts aren't important. That's a cultural hallmark of whiteness. It's a cultural hallmark of of Western imperialist culture. This is why you had that exhibit in the National Museum of African American History over at the Smithsonian, specifically saying that things like timeliness and hard work were white behaviors, which is insane. Anytime anybody tells you that merit-based activities are racist, you should immediately begin to wonder whether they are attempting to divide and use power because that, that really is what they are attempting to do. One of the people who does this the most is Ibram X. Kendi, of course. So Ibram X. Kendi basically says that if you use anything like objectivity, if you ever suggest that individually based rights are the fundamental basis for a free society or that people ought to be treated equally under the law without regard to their race, this makes you a racist. So he was asked about his own racism by Joy Reid, who, of course, uh, is, is fully in line with the Ibram X. Kendi playbook. K- Kendi is one of the great grifters of our time. Uh, he's a sloppy thinker. To say that he's a thinker, I think, is, is an insult to thinkers. He's, he's an incredibly sloppy thinker. His, his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is one of the great racist tomes in modern American history. This is a person who is a fascist. I mean, he has openly suggested there ought to be a department of anti-racism at the federal government level, unelected, and their job would be to strike down any state, federal, or local policy that ends with inequality of outcome. Okay, so here's Ibram X. Kennedy trying to explain why what he's saying is not racist when it pretty clearly is racist. Black people are also dying at the highest rates from COVID-19. You know, maybe they should also receive, maybe they should also receive vaccine first. Maybe we should have a a, a system in which those who have the 
those who have the greatest needs are provided with what they need, but they call that reverse discrimination. They call that discrimination. They're against that. How are we going to create equity and justice for all if we're providing the same resources to middle-income people as we're providing to billionaires? Okay, so what Ibram Kennedy there is saying is he's talking specifically about COVID policy. Okay, what he's saying about COVID policy, this just shows the nonsensical nature of, of what he of what he argues. First of all, he argues that he does, he's not saying that white people are racist. He's just saying that complicity in the system makes you a racist. And also, if you're white, you're complicit in the system, just by nature. Right? I mean, that, that, that really is his argument. But what he's saying about COVID there is, is so typical of how we are supposed to think about objective metrics. So COVID-19 policy is what he's talking about there. You'll remember there was a big debate when it came to tranching out vaccines in which many people, myself included, said the single greatest variable that explains COVID and how it affects people is age. If you're older, you're much more likely to die of COVID. If you're younger, you're much less likely to die of COVID. Ibram Kennedy, because he only sees the world in terms of race, he says, well, if you're black, you're more likely to die of COVID than if you're white. Okay, well, that is seeing through like the tertiary or, or you know, way down on the list, like the ninth place factor, because the reality is you have a bunch of complications that cross streams with race. Right? You have age, you have obesity, you have underlying health conditions. If we were to tranche out vaccines based on race, as opposed to based on age, you would end up with more dead black people, as we explained at the time, because you'd be ignoring the older black people in favor of the younger black people because black America is demographically younger than white America. So what you'd end up with is more black people getting the vaccine, but also more black people dying, ironically. Okay, but Ibram X. Kenny doesn't care about any of that because objectivity, statistics, math, these things are bad. These things are very bad. And this is how you end up with stories over and over in the New York Times in which you just ignore data and objective metrics in favor of a softer sense that there is supposed to be an outcome, right? In favor of a subjective sense that what I want from the world is what the world must give to me. And the government must be my tool in making that happen for me. So for example, today in the New York Times, there's an article about Target store closings in Baltimore. Now, the reason that the Targets are closing in Baltimore is pretty obvious. Baltimore is a very violent place. It has extremely high levels of shoplifting. There's not a lot of family income in Baltimore. The education system sucks. There's a lot of crime, right? This is, none of these make for a very safe place to open a Target. And every time there's a riot, people loot the Target, right? That is a, that is a very bad way. Like Target opened these stores in order to service the local community. They found that they could not service the local community profitably, so they closed the stores. Instead, the New York Times suggests that it must be racism. Because again, to look at objective metrics, to look at actual complicating factors, would be to undermine the power argument that they are making. It is a power argument that they're making. They should have power over you. And if we have to throw the stats out the window and objective, we will do that. Here's the New York Times. When Target announced it was opening a store in Mondowmin, a predominantly black neighborhood in Baltimore struggling with crime and poverty, it seemed like a ticket to a turnaround. And from the start, it was a practical success and a point of community pride. The store, which opened in 2008, carried groceries, operated a pharmacy, and had a Starbucks cafe, the only one in this part of Baltimore's west side. People came from across the city to shop there, helping to soften the Mondalmans area's reputation for crime and the looting that followed protests over the 2015 death of Freddie Gray, who was fatally injured while in city police custody. As an employer, Target seemed to cater to the community's needs, making a point of hiring black men, providing an office in the store for a social worker to support the staff. Elijah Cummings was known to shop there. But in February 2018, with almost no warning or explanation, Target closed the store. Now, you may notice the timeline here. Right. This is the New York Times saying this must be it must have been a profitable, magical store. Right. I mean, everything was going great. Here's the timeline. They opened in 2008. In 2015, the entire store was looted. 
In 2018, they closed. Apparently, it's racism. According to the New York Times, residents, especially those without cars, lost a convenient place to shop for quality goods. And a marker of the community's self-worth was suddenly taken away. Well, you know what should be a marker of a community's self-worth? Whether the community makes decisions capable of supporting a target. Whether the community is capable of working with the police to quash crime. Whether the community is capable of providing a social framework necessary to ensure that kids go to school and get educated and that there are not people looting the target. Right? The, the, the presence of the target is merely a symptom. The absence of the target is merely a symptom. There are underlying causes to whether a target locates in a particular area. But if you point this out, then, of course, you are not validating the subjective assessment of people who live in a particular area. Reverend Frank Lance, pastor of Mount Lebanon Baptist Church in Mount Dalman, says to open a store like Target in an African-American neighborhood gave this area legitimacy. When the store closed, it was like saying you are not worthy after all. Right. It's, it's Target's job to validate people who live in this area at, at loss to their own profit. It is their job to validate the subjective sense of self, self-worth that people hold in a particular area. It is not the job of people in a particular area to facilitate an environment in which a Target can stay. You may notice that there are black communities all over the United States that have targets. This is not one of them. The reason that this is not one of them is because of the high crime areas. It is because of the behavior of members of the community. Okay, but using the, again, it's all about how people react to you. It's not about how you act. Okay, because if you're going to focus in on a quality of outcome without looking at the behavior of individuals, then what you are inevitably going to do is suggest that the system is rigged against individuals. Three years later, according to the New York Times, the store remains empty. Its closing still stings Mondalman residents and Baltimore officials, but granted $15 million in subsidies to help develop the property. Many national retailers have faced criticism in the past for failing to open in black and poor communities, creating food deserts or a lack of access to quality goods. Again, the notion is that national retailers are responsible for the food deserts, as opposed to the lack of ability to create a store that is profitable in particular areas. In Mondalman, Target invested in a struggling area, but the outcome was almost more disheartening. The company ultimately decided that despite its social goals, the store wasn't financially successful enough to keep open. The closing is a sobering reminder of the realities of capitalism. Ah, you see, it's capitalism that is to blame. Always, always. In a moment when corporations are making promises to support black Americans, saying their commitment to racial equity is stronger than ever. It can't be underlying behavior. Of, of people in a community that, that make these stores not profitable, it's capitalism itself that is the problem. It is all a power game. It's a power game. And that is uh, truly unpleasant for the future of the United States. There's another article in the New York Times today all about this by a person named Samuel Getachow. He graduated from 2020 from Oakland Technical High School in California. This is in the New York Times. And he's the 2019 Oakland Youth Poet Laureate. And uh, apparently... He, uh, he talks about being a, a valedictorian in Oakland and how the, at a particular school, there are not a lot of black valedictorians. He, he says, he's talking about some black valedictorians. And he, he talks about how it took 106 years for Oakland Tech to award the honor of valedictorian to a black male student. Okay, and that valedictorian, who was a, a person by the name of Ahmed Muhammad, he said, why me? I don't know. But for all those who didn't get to maximize their potential, for all those who had the ability but lacked the opportunity, I owe it to them to appreciate this history made by the people who put me in this position. We owe it to them to make sure that while I may be the first young black man to be our school's valedictorian, I won't be the last. Okay, all of that is fine. But then this person writing in the New York Times says, we owe it to them to be more dedicated to dismantling racism than to congratulating them for being among the few to thrive despite it. 
That requires an examination of the structures that helped us thrive but weren't available to others. Okay, but we're not actually going to look at the structures that help these people to thrive. We're not going to look at two-parent families, for example. We're not going to look at charter schools. Instead, we are going to suggest that schools that are disproportionately Asian and white because they have entrance exams and not enough black students, unfortunately, are performing well in the entrance exams. It's because they're racist. Of course, of course. Subjectivity in public policy and in social policy, subjectivity are the hallmark of authoritarian thinking. Alrighty, coming up, we are going to be getting to Gwen Berry, who continues to be at the top of the news. Plus, we'll get to the New York mayoral race because this is truly an astonishing story from, from the New York mayoral race. First, let us talk for a second about what your kids are watching and learning. Okay, Disney Plus these days is just pushing left-wing propaganda. That's all they do, apparently, on Disney Plus. It's, it's amazing. Like, I, won't, I have Disney Plus. I will not let my kids watch Disney Plus unless I am picking the specific show, and typically it's an old movie. <laughs> okay, that is not the case with PragerU. PragerU has launched a massive new K-12 education program. Thousands of educators and parents have already signed up. Check it out at PragerU.com forward slash kids. PragerU has tons of free kids shows, books, magazines with the pro-American values that aren't being taught in schools or most kids shows. The PragerU website has everything you need to get your young family through what is happening in our country right now. You want your kids to learn about the nation's founding principles and be proud of them? How about passing on values you care about, like truth, freedom, responsibility, hard work, equality under God? If you want your kids consuming content that actually supports your values, go to PragerU right now. Show your children their animated shows, books, and magazines. Most importantly, support PragerU in their efforts to take back America's education. Subscribe now. Don't miss PragerU's incredible free kids content. Visit PragerU.com forward slash kids today and go check them out. Alrighty, in just one second, we'll get to the New York City mayoral race, which is an astonishing fail. In a time where many people are claiming that America was built on the back of oppression, the Daily Wire is here to remind you the freest country in the world was built on the back of legends who sacrificed their own lives for the future of the country. Our new podcast, America's Forgotten Heroes, you're going to love it. It's fantastic. It illuminates the intense, action-packed stories of seven men who fought against all odds to save America during its darkest hours. From John Paul Jones, the father of the U.S. Navy, to Frank Luke, the 21-year-old ace pilot who took down 18 German aircraft in 18 days during World War I, these brave men are the reason people like me are able to voice our opinions today and why you're able to listen to them. Subscribe now to America's Forgotten Heroes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen because the first episode does drop tomorrow, Thursday, July 1st. And one new action-packed episode drops every day through the 4th of July weekend and into next week. There are a total of seven episodes. Too many heroes never receive the recognition they deserve. Sharing their stories with you this Independence Day holiday, it's our small way of giving tribute to their heroism. If you love what you hear, leave a five-star review. Help share these incredible stories. Thanks for listening. Thank you to the heroes that made such an excellent podcast possible. Also, we have so much content here at Daily Wire. We also have a new documentary about Clarence Thomas available at Daily Wire. On October 15, 1991, the United States Senate voted 5248 to confirm Clarence Thomas as the second black American to ever sit on the highest court in the land. If you know Clarence Thomas's original story, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. But all that the media will tell you is a character assassination campaign about Anita Hill and pubic hairs on Coke cans and all the rest of that nonsense. The documentary Created Equal shows Clarence Thomas's battle and his ultimate triumph. The documentary is only available to Daily Wire members because you'll remember Amazon had it up and then Amazon quietly removed it during Black History Month of all times. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Get 20% off your new membership with code justice. Again, you're going to love it. It makes a great educational product for your kids as well. The, the documentary Created Equal is available to members over at dailywire.com. If you're not yet a Daily Wire member, join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe with code justice for 20% off your membership. Get ready for a film unlike any other. Once you're a member, be sure to check out all of our other great content like our talk show Candace featuring Candace Owens or our first film, Run, Hide, Fight, or my new series Debunked. 
where I debunk leftist myths in 15 minutes or less. You can get all of this and more on demand by going to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Check out with 20% off using code justice. Don't wait. Start streaming today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty. Meanwhile, absolute chaos breaking out in New York. I mean, it really is kind of an amazing thing. So last night, there is this shocking new information. So the way that New York's mayoral race works is that there's ranked choice voting. As I've explained on the program before, basically, you choose your top five candidates. If your first candidate doesn't end up in the top two, then we actually don't throw out your ballot, right? Then we go to your second choice for the mayor. And then if your second choice doesn't make it, we move down to your third choice for mayor. So everybody's vote gets counted, but sort of in order of preference. And the goal of ranked choice voting, of course, is to mean that you don't have to really strategically vote anymore. Now, instead of strategically voting, you can just kind of pick the order of your candidate preference, and then it all comes out in the wash. I'm actually not a super giant opponent of a ranked choice voting. It just needs to be tabulated a lot more quickly. And so last night, there was this news that came out where after the initial round of balloting, without counting the absentee ballots, Eric Adams had been up by about nine points in the mayor's race. He had had like 31% compared to Catherine Garcia, who had had like 22%. Maya Wiley was at like 21%. Andrew Yang was way down at 11%. Okay, but that was before they had kicked out all of the lower ranking candidates and then checked everybody's second choices. So last night, there was information that broke suggesting that Maya Wiley was out and that Catherine Garcia had closed the gap almost entirely. According to those results, the original results, again, had this thing, you know, split 20 different ways with Eric Adams having like 35% of the vote and then Maya Wiley having like 26% of the vote and Catherine Garcia having 23% of the vote. Then after the ranked choice ballots were taken into account, Maya Wiley was eliminated, Andrew Yang was eliminated and virtually all of those votes ended up going to Catherine Garcia. So suddenly it looked like Eric Adams only had 51% of the vote and Catherine Garcia had 49% of the vote. And that was still before we had like 120,000 outstanding ballots that had yet to be counted. So it looked very much possible that Catherine Garcia could become the mayor of New York, overcoming that lead that Eric Adams held in the initial balloting. That's what it looked like. Okay, so Eric Adams then started protesting the election. You're never supposed to do this, by the way, right? It, it, it's, I've heard that this is very bad, that if you, if you start with the stop the steal stuff, then this makes you bad. So Eric Adams, he put out a statement He said the vote total just released by the Board of Elections is 100,000 plus more than the total announced on election night, raising serious questions. We've asked the Board of Elections to explain such a massive increase and other irregularities before we comment on the ranked choice voting projection. We remain confident Eric Adams will be the next mayor of New York because he put together a historic five-borough working class coalition of New Yorkers to make our city a safer, fairer, more affordable place. Okay, so when this first came out, people were like, oh, look at that guy doubting the results of elections. How could he do such a thing? That's, oh, what, what a schmuck. Can't believe. Well, now it turns out that Eric Adams was right. According to the New York Times, quote, the New York City's mayor's race plunged into chaos on Tuesday night when the city's board of elections released a new tally of votes in the Democratic mayoral primary and then removed the tabulations from its website after citing a discrepancy. The results released earlier in the day had suggested the race between Eric Adams and his two closest rivals had tightened significantly. But just a few hours after releasing the preliminary results, the elections board issued a cryptic tweet revealing a discrepancy in the report, saying it was working with its technical staff to identify where the discrepancy occurred. By Tuesday evening, the tabulations had been taken down, replaced by a new advisory that the ranked choice results would be available starting on June 30th. Then around 10.30 p.m., the board finally released a statement explaining it had failed to remove a sample, remove sample ballot images used to test its ranked choice voting software. So basically they ran a simulation 
a few weeks ago. And then they just sort of forgot to scrub it. And then they, they actually added it in to their actual vote tabulations. Yee, yee, yee. When the board ran the program, it counted, quote, both test and election night results, producing approximately 135,000 additional records. The ranked choice numbers, it said, would be tabulated again. For the Board of Elections, which has long been plagued by dysfunction and nepotism, this was its first try at implementing ranked choice voting on a citywide scale. Skeptics had expressed doubts about the board's ability to pull off the process, though it has been used successfully in other cities. The Board of Elections released preliminary unofficial ranked choice tabulations Tuesday afternoon, showing Adams narrowly ahead of Catherine Garcia and Maya Wiley eliminated. But the results may well be scrambled again. Even after the Board of Elections sorts through the preliminary tally, it must then count around 124,000 Democratic absentee ballots. Once they're tabulated, the board will then take the new total that includes them and run a new set of ranked choice elimination rounds with a result not expected until mid-July. So it's a complete, absolute mess. Now, we'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, using the internet without ExpressVPN, well, it's like forgetting to mute yourself on a Zoom meeting and having everyone hear your side conversation with your coworker. Not that that's ever happened to me, but, you know, it's bad. Well, internet service providers track every single website you visit, which is also bad. They sell that information to ad companies and tech giants who then use it to target you with their ad programs. ExpressVPN reroutes your network data through a secure encrypted tunnel so your internet provider can't see or sell your online activity. It sounds complicated, but ExpressVPN is actually really easy to use. Just fire up that app, click one button. One subscription works on all your devices like phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected as well. Here at Daily Wire, we're proud to have ExpressVPN as our top privacy partner because we believe everyone should be able to protect themselves from big tech's prying eyes. Protect your online privacy by visiting expressvpn.com slash Ben today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. Get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's the service I use. You should do the same. Expressvpn.com slash Ben to get an extra three months for free. Republicans have pointed out that processes like giant numbers of absentee ballots and failures of tabulation there are ways to stop that through, you know, voter laws. And then the left has immediately declared that all of that is deeply and horrifically racist, right? In New York, this is happening. And the person who just got hurt by it is the only serious black mayoral candidate. Maya Wiley is not going to be the mayor of New York. So that is um, awkward, to say the least. If this had happened in Georgia, you'd hear every newspaper in the United States talking about the innate racism of the Georgia election system. Instead, it's happening in New York, which is just a crap festival. And now they're like, oh, well, you know, People make mistakes. People make mistakes. Maya Wiley did lace into the Board of Elections. She said the error was, quote, the result of generations of failures that have gone unaddressed and said, sadly, it is impossible to be surprised. Once again, we've seen the mismanagement that has resulted in a lack of confidence in results, not because there is a flaw in our election laws, but because those who implemented have failed too many times. The Board of Elections must now count the remainder of the votes transparently and ensure the integrity of the process moving forward. She says, I'm confident that every candidate will accept the final results and support whomever the voters have elected. Uh, I, I have doubts. If Adams ends up losing, I have some serious doubts that, uh, that Adams is going to accept the results of the election. Instead, we may get a very Trumpy Adams take on the election, which would just be the height of irony. Again, sophisticated New York proving itself to be uh, less than sophisticated when it comes to actually running its city in pretty much every available way. By the way, if it turns out that Andrew Yang and, and Garcia campaigning together ended with Yang's voters going to Garcia, and thus putting her over the top against Adams, wait for the cries of racism inside the Democratic Party. It's just going to be delicious. It's just going to be wonderful. I am here for it, to say the very, very least. So once again, Democrats demonstrating that they are excellent at running cities. And by excellent, I mean absolute horrific crap shows on, on every available level. So I'm, you know, is it schadenfreude? Yeah, just a little bit. Remember, it was, it was Georgia and Arizona 
and, and Florida and all the states that are passing new election laws to crack down on voter fraud, voter irregularity, to make people feel safer about their elections. Those are the bad guys. New York is filled with the good guys who can't perform a simple tabulation and then idiotically release the fake results to the general public and have to walk it back. Yeah, pretty grand stuff there from the biggest city in the United States and the height of sophistication. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out The Michael Knowles Show. Today, he discusses the story of Nike CEO saying their brand is, quote, of China and for China. Yep. You can hear more details over on Michael's show, available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021. A ballot box issue throws New York City's mayoral race into chaos. The NSA issues a non-denial denial that it's spying on Tucker. And Nike's CEO describes his company as a brand of China and for China. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force, Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Hey, 